Welcome to another episode of the Future Tech podcast series. It's me, Charlie Sell, the Group MD of Arrows Group, where I get a chance to interview, have open conversations with tech leaders from across the globe, asking them a bit about their story, their thoughts and passions within being a tech leader within their industries, and that all-important career advice to many of our STEM listeners. So I'm really pleased to have Honza Shiroki with me today. Honza is the CTO of Muse. Muse is a global technology hospitality platform, um, and it really is going places. So it's, it's going to be really, really interesting to hear not only his journey, but also the world that he works in. So without further ado, Honza, welcome to the podcast. Thank, thanks for, for having me. Excited to be here. And let's jump straight in. Tell us a bit about your story. Yeah, so, you know, I'm doing, or I started doing programming when I was like 16 years old. You know, I started on the website, so like static static websites, nothing too fancy, HTML, CSS. And then, you know, I wanted to do something uh, cooler with the websites, bring in some more uh, like uh, life to them, so some data storage. So, yeah, I started learning JavaScript and then the backend technologies around websites so that, you know, some database where the websites can store data. And from there on, I moved to, basically web applications, which are, you know, this stuff. And yeah, I, I was doing that uh, in parallel with my studies, both like high school studies and then university studies. Yeah, during the university studies, I, I picked up a couple of like random side projects, uh, either individually is, and one with uh, one of my friends where we worked together. I was the backend guy, he was the frontend guy. And yeah, then basically Muse became another side project. So, you know, my, my friend called me just, hey, Honza, I, I have another project. Do you want to join? I was like, yeah, why not? It was, I think, uh, last year of my university. So I, I've jumped on that and I'm in Muse since then. Amazing. So you're one of the founders then of Muse along with your friend and, and starting the journey. Yeah, like I'm not a formally founder, but uh, I could be, you know, like a founding CTO or something, something like that. Uh, Richard Walter is is the official founder who established the company. But yeah, now I'm basically employee number one out of those like 500 employees. So yeah, the friend of mine, he he left after like two 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 and a half years. So basically, I inherited the number one spot because he started with Richard like a week before me. You know, he had a talk with Richard, and then you know he called me like week after. Afterwards. So officially he was the number one, but when he left, I inherited the position. Yeah. And and so what's it been like being part of a business that's gone from being number one employee to 500 employees now and the growth of that journey? Yeah, the growth is pretty crazy. You know, I, I tend to uh, see the phases of my career based on of, based on the primary tools that I'm using, you know, in, in my day-to-day -day life. So initially I was just a programmer. So I was spending most of my time in the IDE, in Visual Studio, writing the code, you know, that, that was my bread and butter. Then over time, when I, when I started leading, you know, a team of developers, I shifted more from writing the code to GitHub, which is our platform where we, where, where we submitted the code, open pull request, and, you know, uh, review that. So at that stage, I was mostly using GitHub to do code reviews, but also I was having already some meetings with the team, you know, solutioning and ideating, how are we going to build that? So I shift from the coding phase to the other sides of it, to the preparation of the coding and then doing some code reviews. So that, that was pretty long phase in Muse because it took us, you know, several years to gain the traction. 
and then the phase I'm currently at is where Outlook is my, you know, main tool that I'm using, you know, going on to meetings, talking to people. Uh, yeah, so the growth has been crazy, you know, I started while I was still studying at the university and it was just another project for me, you know, not having any big ambitions or anything. And now it's turned into, you know, huge successful company with, now, now I have like 125 people in my team. So, you know, if, if I compare it now and 10 years ago, that's like extreme difference. And, and I just couldn't agree with you more about how the involvement of leadership and, and management, whether you're in technology or sales or even finance, it's, it's strange how the journey goes from being very hands-on to then, to, to then being the, the chief reviewer. But ultimately, it ends up being the person who has to then run meetings and 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 being it's, it's a very much becomes a people job doesn't it it's as well how to motivate and yeah. develop and and give careers to the people that work yeah. for you and how have you found that well what have been your lessons when you've been looking at growing the team from to from zero to 125 people how have you been able to maintain the culture or, or the development of the people yeah, for me, I think the key moment or milestone moment in my career was, uh, yeah, so I'm, you know, programmer at heart, problem solver at heart, some, some kind of product management is something I like doing. So I'm not like a naturally born people person or, or people manager. But at some point I realized that, you know, I'm no longer building the applications for our customers or for the systems for for the hotel guests and the people like those. And at one point I realized, you know, I'm building the, the teams and the organization that is building those applications. And that was for me the main shift where I realized, you know, my, my customers are all the employees. My product is the engineering organization. That's what I'm building. So in a sense, I still feel that I'm like a developer and product manager, but I'm no longer, you know, developing and product managing the host, hotel product that we have. I'm developing and product managing the, the organization. And of, of course, you know, for example, part of that is like to have good career framework and compensation framework, because, you know, as a good product manager, you listen to what, what your customers, AKA my employees want, what are their problems, what are they struggling with? You listen to that and you want to solve that in some way. So yeah, that's for example, how I, how I got into the career framework, progr progression, progression, um, pr progression, systems and, and things like this where I, I yeah build that so that you know my people know what should they do which skills should they acquire to, to get better to go to a different path etc but that's one of the examples you know there are other things like uh, how to work effectively how to collaborate with product management how to establish the teams you know so that the teams are performing well so basically yeah some someone told me like mentor or we had a call and he told me you know you need to realize you're no longer building the machines. You're building the machine that builds the machines. So that's what I really took to, took to heart and I'm following now. And what, what great life lessons. And, and what I really like about that, customers are your employees now, how, how you can still maintain that, that outward looking focus, but, 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 but move that to your employees, the career development, the frameworks, as you mentioned. And if, I mean, I talk a lot about what I call the employee value proposition. You know, if a business yeah. can get their employee value proposition correct and, and you can offer the careers, you offer the right structures, 
they are your business. They are they're an equal stakeholder in your business to your clients, your suppliers. It's it's it's, it's bills, and the fact that that's intrinsic to you is is is, is credit, I guess, because it's it's not often people are taught that, are they? You've got to you've got to be naturally in tune with with how to to put people at the heart of your business. Yeah, for me, it's, you know, I, I can no longer fix a bug or develop a feature for the customers, but I can kind of still impact that by channeling that through the employees. So in, in a sense, all the teams are like a channel for me through which I can still impact it. You know, mm-hmm. I can uh, impact the company strategy, the direction, which sets, sets the tone, sets the direction, but it's not like direct, it's indirect. It's similar to like platform teams, which we have in the organization that are building some frameworks and tools for the product teams that are building the products. So in a sense, it's similar because they're not directly, you know, building a new feature, but they're building something that's used uh, by others to, to solve the customer problems. So, so, so yeah. And um, how have you found, you know, there's a question I ask many of my guests, that obviously through the pandemic from overnight, we have had to move from probably being, and I'm not sure if it's similar for you, where we had all of our engineers within offices working collaboratively together to suddenly having to pivot to being remote and, and hybrid working and, and how you keep people engaged or keep people performing when when you're you're suddenly having to, to re, reassess how their working conditions. Did, did that happen the same for you? Did, did news have to go through that same journey as well? Yep, we, we basically overnight went to fully remote environment. So I would say, you know, for all the engineers and developers, it actually wasn't that bad. I would bet that, you know, half of them even enjoys it more without having to commute and, and, you know, go into the office, which we had, you know, right before COVID hit, we had pretty crowded office. We are growing super fast. So it was loud there, you know, so actually I think many people, you know, enjoyed this, this shift and myself included because, Nowadays, I'm having a lot of calls, meetings. So in the office, I would have to be closing myself into some call booths or things like that. Whereas at home, I can have like full room with a fridge uh, two meters away, uh, which is great for me. So yeah, I, I think the people took it uh, pretty well, especially in the you know, R&D and engineering, because we, we operated uh, you know, in an online world uh, even before that. It also yeah. allowed us to start, you know, hiring much more remotely in other locations because the, the COVID and working online kind of leveled the playing field for everybody. While we had like majority of people in Prague, but, uh, you know, big office in Netherlands, big office office in the UK. And if, if the developers were remote, it kind of majority of the team in Prague, it wasn't, you know, equal for, for them. This leveled the playing field. So we started hiring much more globally and distributed. For example, product managers are now, you know, distributed uh, all, all across the world. These engineers, we're still a bit located in Prague, but we already started hiring in Spain, UK, Netherlands, and in other countries. So, you know, actually pre- pre- pretty positive. It, it, on the other hand, it had the impact, you know, on the culture and togetherness of the team, and you know, sense sense uh, sense of company. Uh, so yeah, we tried to do some even like uh, on, online uh, online outings, or I don't know if it's even proper word. We had some like escape game that was played online. We we do some 
like uh, we play some online games together, like Go Gaster, which is like 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 this uh, game that you know we we collect people together and they play online and then there's some some time where they can talk informally afterwards. So yeah, and you know the teams are organizing some some meetings or some get-togethers uh, as well. So it's not as frequent, but uh, it's still happening. Yeah, yeah, and then well, well done because it's. It's so refreshing. I, I totally agree with you that, that the remote working now has leveled the playing field. And it, it means now that, you know, we, we can look at talent across the globe, essentially, and, and especially with similar timeframes, so, so Central Europe. But, but to then also be aware enough that, that people are loyal to cultures as much as, as careers. So, so keeping people engaged through gamification or, or community chats, you know, you've, you've got to try and balance both, don't you? It's, it's, offering people great careers and freedom and flexibility but then understanding and feeling part of the business and, the, and the, the, the why they want to work for that specific company um and then keep on, on getting the, sorry for jumping in on the uh, gamification topic uh, so actually we have uh, in the tech team we have a we call it engagement game and it's basically runs for six months and there are various activities those are not like extracurricular activities that are not mandatory, that are not in the job description, but that are like nice to have that we want people to do if they want to. It's not mandatory. So there are things like, you know, writing a blog post for our developer blog, going to meetup, speaking at meetup, share, mentoring someone, uh, participating in some cross exposures in, in the company, basically all those extracurricular activities. And you get some points for that. So, by the way, thanks for inviting me because I will be getting some uh, some points for being present on your podcast. And, and basically, the then there are, there are awards at the end. And we were like, you know, developers have really good salaries. So, you know, awarding them with money or like iPhone, that wouldn't be, you know, too attractive. So we had to come up with something that money can't buy. And a couple of times what we did, we engaged with like a fashion designer and we created like a collection of premium merch. So like a hoodie, sweatpants, socks, some like premium clothing that money can't buy. It's a limited collection. And basically the only way you can get it is to earn the engagement points by writing blogs or going to meetups and, you know, spreading the word around views and show, showing how, how we do, do stuff. And, and you know, we, we had people who are like, hey, I will give you, you know, some money if you can get, get me this cool hoodie. And I, I was, sorry, we cannot do that, you know, the next, you, you have a chance next time and you, you can write some blog posts or, you know, even participate in all conference and present it internally to the team. So it's not only about, you know, external presence. There are some other things that are, you know, easier to, to get points for, even for junior developers. Yeah, I absolutely love that. that I've been re- I've just been writing that down about you know the the merchandise about making a limited edition merchandise. So that you're right, it's because it, it's not just about money rewards. And in fact, you don't want people always working towards financial rewards because it sometimes drives the wrong behaviours. It's it's about that that connection and and, and recognition. And uh, if you don't mind, I'm probably going to steal that for my business. I think that that could be a really, really good idea to, to get that level of engagement. Yeah, I, I have like a community manager in my team. So that's a person that takes care of like uh, internal and external community around the engineering team. So, you know, he, he organizes some workshops for the developers, you know, how to write, you know, authorship uh, workshops or presentation skills workshops or, or the outings or things like that. And he also organizes or, or the team organizes the community management team 
organizes like external meetups or we have uh, some form of like panel discussions that we do every quarter and, and things like this. So yeah, I don't know how, how I got through this topic. Yeah, I, I have a person for that. So it's not yeah, just me, yeah. right? but you know, as a CTO, you have so many responsibilities that this is something that usually would get put on the, uh, you know, lower down the backlog. But uh, that, that's why I figured I, I want to have a person in my team who will be taking care of the engagement like proactively and figuring out what can we improve, what we can do better. So yeah, I wanted to make it intentional. Yeah, well done. I, I think that's really, really good foresight thinking because it, it's so, so important. And so moving on to the last part of the podcast where, where many of our listeners, you know, um, are always thinking about, you know, many of them want to join scale up businesses, businesses that have gone through that journey that, that Muse has and, and that, that exciting journey. What what would be your one or two bits of advice to, to someone who wants to join a business like Muse and, and how they could really stand out and, and, and get that opportunity? Yeah. Like, like the first thing, what I, what I recommend to, you know, especially younger people who are in university or right after university is that, that, that that's like a period of life when, when they can afford taking big risks and, you know, uh, jo- joining basically, uh, and big risk means possibly big rewards. So if you don't have a mortgage, if you don't have a big family to take care of, it's much easier to just try out a couple of startups, see see where it goes, you know, basically explore it and, and be be open to, to some stuff. And over time, you can always, let's say, fall back to scale-ups or corporates. You know, that's, the tech market is so hot that you will always find a job. So, so what I recommend to younger people is to actually take the risks while they have chance because later it's much more difficult to, to, to take the risks. And, and generally, I think, during the university years or still in, in this younger age, I think it's important to try to get broad knowledge, not get too specialized in one area, but to rather get a broader knowledge. I'm a big proponent of the T-shaped personality. So for me, in the younger age, it's good to you know make the top part of the T letter uh, as wide as possible. And over time, you can be like squeezing it out and making like the lack of the tea, making it longer in one area, but definitely, you know, making it uh, making it wider in terms of how many technologies you you know, how many programming languages you can write or speak. Uh, because the more you know, you absorb the concepts from that, and that helps you in any other language. So basically, going in, into breadth and over time specializing. Because when you get to like a, a job, you start you need to start specializing. If the company is growing, you will get one area of the product or technology taking care of that. So you will naturally be specializing. And, and yeah, so that's what I would recommend. Start start broad initially and then only later specialize. Yeah, yeah. And, and I totally agree with you. You know, that's, and you, you learn so much from those different environments. And I think speaking to many startups, the, you know, it's, it's not a lifestyle choice. You know, for a startup, you, you're, you're throwing your life and soul into it. And so you need to have the energy and, and the, 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 the drive. But what you learn off the back of it is, is transferable skills, isn't it? It's, 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 it's the, the breadth of experience you get and, and can be quite different when you end up working for a large enterprise where you can be quite a specialist in a very, very small part of the, a much bigger uh, machine. And so you need to find your place that, that gives you the energy, yeah. but also where you can utilize your skills. 
Yeah, and I, I think, you know, that also depends on the personality. So there are people who like to try new things, do lots of projects. So for them, like an agency that delivers, you know, solutions, applications for customers might be better. And there are people who like to basically pursue, uh, pursue like excellence in one craft and go as deep as possible. And for them, on the other hand, some bigger company is better because if you have a small startup and news was like that in, in the early days, there wasn't much time for me to spend doing big research on databases and uh, how to optimize our database because just we hadn't have time for that. But as we are growing now and we have infrastructure team that goes in depth of the database performance. So if you're interested in one era, you, you know, the bigger company is, I, I guess, better for you because there's, there's more space for specialists. In the early startup days, it, it, it's the best for like generalists and people who can, you know, wear five different hats, change the hats. I was answering support tickets. I, I was going to the hotels and, uh, you know, helping them to install printer there, even though it, it wasn't my job. And, and yeah, now, now I'm no longer doing that because we have specialized for that uh, in, in the company. So it also depends on internal motivation of the people, of what you like, what type of person you are. And based on it, you can pick, you know, the right fit for you in terms of which company to join or, or where to work. Yeah, and again, thank you. That, that, uh, it really is that, that type of world where, where yeah, you can get people from the generalist all the way to the specialist. And, and can you believe it? That's, that's our time has flown by. This has been such an interesting conversation and to hear the growth of news and, and your journey within the business and your, your thoughts on um, not only making employees your customers, but um, the, the V-shape of learning to, to really start with a breadth of skills and to bring it in and to, to encourage people to take risks that when in their early years, you know, all of that really resonates. And, and thank you to hear it from people like yourself who, who, who live and who've walked the walk. It's, it's what many of our listeners love to hear and, 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 you know, it's inspiring to see. So Honza, thank you so much for being on our podcast. I hope you found it uh, enjoyable. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for inviting me. And to our listeners, that's another episode of our Future Tech podcast series. Um, so as always, the podcast is posted on our website, arrowsgroup.com forward slash podcast. And it's also on Spotify and our university partners, Careers Portals. So for now, it's a massive thank you to Hamza and to all of our listeners. This is another episode. Thank you.